Welcome back to part two of RJ Thompson's discussion. We continue to talk about digital literacy within students, but also within faculty and staff at RJ's and John's universities, and how they have been affected by the shift the pandemic had caused. No, I totally get it. I mean, like a lot of the a lot of things to be curious about just kind of disappeared. Now, let's just pivot slightly. I mean, we've been talking about tech we relied on, right? You know, in order to to kind of like sort of keep that engagement going. Where I found that we became really useful if we had some level of tech literacy or tech curiosity was in helping fellow faculty who may not have been so confident. And it's whole idea of being curious, trying to explore new ideas and new things. That was something that I found really came in handy during the pandemic. And leading on from that curiosity thing, you know, faculty who I was mentoring were asking me like, well, you know, how do you, how do you go about all of this? And I, I felt the best way to capture it was that I'm a person who likes to, to push buttons and see what they do. So I just do that. I'm given a new piece of kit and I'll press things. If they break, they break, but let's find out why. Yeah. That's an interesting thing that did not happen to me at all. Mm -hmm. I'm solo, you know, I'm kind of a free agent. I'm, I'm adjuncting at Pitt, at Point Park, at a local community college. I don't have people coming to me asking them to build out their online course, especially when they had to rapidly adapt. That did not happen for me. And I'm glad that it didn't mm -hmm. because my way of teaching is very different from that of others. And I'm very upbeat. I'm very excitable. I'm very expressive. I move around a lot, even on Zoom. I welcome interactions with my daughter and let the chips fall where they may. And for some folks, they're very rigid and structured and there is a very specific sequence through which they offer their lectures. I found that they were not designing their work for their audience, mm -hmm. for the benefit of their audience. I experienced some of this where I would sit in on, on someone's Zoom class just to monitor comments because it was a larger lecture class or something like that. And the students, it's all black boxes. You don't know if they're paying attention. So I'm trying to engage them in the chat while the, the primary instructor is doing his lecture and it's very rote and sequential and logical and very monotone because they don't understand, or that person at least didn't understand how to use their environment to their advantage. And the simple fact is that this was never going to be their environment. Mm -hmm. They were never going to be able to adapt. They purely just had to go through the motions and, and wait until they could get back in a classroom, which is where their comfort zone was. I think to a greater extent, that is a reflection on the lack of willingness to adapt to not only what the expectations of the world are now, adapt to the expectations and needs of the students, and even what's happening with the Great Recession. Not re resignation, excuse me. I've been through one recession, a uh, couple actually, uh, but <laughs> nevertheless, the, the Great Resignation. And it's like you can't be in this box, in this context, and not understand how this interaction, this experience does not affect all the other things that affect you. So they weren't able to look at their problem and then look at the problems behind their problems. So no matter what they did, it was just a straight delivery of content. 
they shouldn't have even done live lectures. They should just record them and then post them up. And that may have been actually more effective for the students than to just make them show up at a specific time and to an extent pretend that they don't have any problems throughout the pandemic. So, you know, I would have to to help with some of that, but I never offered to change anyone's teaching technique. When I dropped out of tenure track, people knew that I was I was a teacher and, you know, I I have a significant background and experience, but at Pitt, it's just so big that there's not even a design program at Pitt, right? So it's like, what's this guy going to do here? Right. So they, you know, the, a lack of curiosity prohibited growth and evolution in, in some cases. So just amusing. Yeah, I see that. I see that. And you do see it within our, within academia, you know, that, um, that there can be, maybe it's not a lack of curiosity per se, because a curiosity exists for them within their own discipline and their own practice but certainly like in in terms of pedagogy you know it, it can negatively impact and of course it impacts negatively in the classroom right you know we we see that and those those black tiles are so descriptive because i think you know that's where as a digital native you just switch off you just mute yourself right one of the things that been that has been fascinating me is maya most advanced yet acceptable how can you solve big problems very simply What's the simple solutioning here, right? And with the black boxes of a class, right, you're staring at it. You know, there there are two things that I recommend. The, the first of which is print out a picture of like your classroom with people in it and just tape it behind your webcam, right? And then all of a sudden, especially if you're an artist, because you can imagine yourself being in like a simulation of being in the classroom. All of a sudden, those black boxes are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing is simple icebreakers, being personable in a time when people need personability, empathy, mm-hmm. you know. So I would start all of my classes off with stupid icebreakers. So if you were on a reality TV show, what would you be on and why? Engagement went through the roof. We would talk about it for 15 minutes, you know, out of an hour and 15 minute lecture class. So like that 15 minutes is gone. Now I got to hustle to get through my lecture. But if I didn't get through it, I would say, here are the notes. Here's the recording. Get through the rest on your own time. And they like that flexibility and that adaptability. So part of my challenge was if I can't get through a full lecture because this is draining uh, on me at a, at a soul level, right? I need to be able to switch the paradigm up. And so it's just like, you know what? We are just going to bullshit for a half an hour and we're going to figure it out. And they got to learn about me. They got to learn about my interruptions and everything that I do. And it created this one-on-one personability, this personal interaction between myself and my students that not just cultivated a good classroom atmosphere and culture, but it created opportunities for long-term engagement. I'm sure that you love being able to see one of your students a decade after they've graduated and seeing them thrive. You are able you are able to see them because you developed a, a great relationship with them long ago. That's what I was trying to do. I want those people to, to find me one year, two year, five, 10 years later and say, hey, RJ, I got this job or hey, I lost my job. Can you help me find something? Yes. 
I am always here for you. You are one of my people. And that's what I wanted to convey. It's great to hear you say those things as well, you know, because sometimes you feel, oh, you know, maybe, maybe it's just me, right? But no, there are many of us who actually think in this way. And you div- you mentioned that empathy and flexibility. And for me, those have been two key words for me that have driven me throughout the pandemic. And they may have been there before, but now they're much more prominent for me as pillars, you know, that I tried to bring into my educational practice, empathy and flexibility and being able to, you know, that student who is immunocompromised and really doesn't feel confident going back in right now. Well, it doesn't hurt me to put my camera on, you know, when we're in the classroom, it doesn't hurt at all. And it engages them and it encourages them. And, you know, I mean, funny things that I did as well at the height of it was like many people, I developed, I de- developed new skills, I guess, or discovered new fun things to do. One of those was baking. I would be, you know, in the downtime, I'd be like sort of sticking a, I don't know, a banana bread or some cookies in the oven. And, you know, the timer would go when I was halfway through saying something, oh, I've got to go and get my cookies out and show them. And, and you know what? There were no black tiles in those sessions. Totally. I believe it. Yeah. When when my daughter jumps in front of the screen and just starts making fun of me and her insults cut deep. And I don't know where <laughs> she gets it because we're very pleasant people. <laughs> she just likes taking the piss out of me, right? Anyway, it makes the entire class laugh. Yeah. Most of them have younger siblings or older siblings. They understand that kind of relationship. So um, it always lands. Yeah, I think if, we, if we've been successful through this period, it's because we have displayed humanity. And ultimately, you know, people involved in the in creative practice, surely that's at the heart of what we do, you know, an understanding of the human spirit and being human too, right? So in terms of... Where we go from here, do we change what we used to do before or have we picked up some nice, interesting, fun, new new ideas to take with us into the future as we transition back into this combination of, of in-person, I don't know. What do you think? I completed my entire MFA online. I got a scholarship to do it, practically free, Savannah College of Art and Design. It's one of the greatest honors of of my life to have gotten that. And especially to see where it's taken me. But I remember at the time, oh, Thompson got his degree online. Like, we don't want him here. We don't want him teaching here because it's online. And now everything is. And things have been for a long time. And that outdated, outmoded thinking is crippling programs left and right especially at small private schools. They are, they're the ones on the, on the line here. Um, if you're like a small private Catholic school and you have a design program, like pray to God, but row for sure, like you got to get your programs online and you have to introduce that component because you, you just won't survive. It's bleak, especially with the, the demographic shift coming up. If you don't adapt, you will have a program, period. And I don't know if faculty are completely aware of that demographic shift. Uh, they may understand it as, as a concept and, and understand that something's happening, but it's abstract. Mm-hmm. You know, it not, it's fuzzy. It's not in focus. I'm looking at enrollment numbers every single day and not necessarily emblematic of, of my institution, but others. And I just see downward and it's shocking. People need to be really concerned. They need to change their programs to fit the formats that the people demand, right? And then in addition to that, 
the programs need to adapt. There needs to be an introduction of interdisciplinarity. Yeah. Okay. And they need a lot of interdisciplinarity. They need to be bringing in design. They need to be bringing in marketing and all these other adjacent things together to make the best outcomes for all manner of students. We have a lot of students that are design majors, marketing minors, marketing minors, uh, marketing majors are taking design minors and it's making a difference. Those people are getting jobs quicker. They're getting better jobs quicker. They're getting better, better salaries quicker. Those that can code and do so well are getting jobs faster than someone that can only do print design. And it's shocking that a lot of programs still do not have an interactive adaptation to their programs. Hello, interactive faculty, we exist. Bring us to your schools to help draft new curriculum for you. I did this as recently as summer of 2019 and it's eye-opening. So I think that there needs to be growth and progress and major changes uh, across the board to curriculum, to technology, to how people interact with that technology for the benefit of others, everything. And I don't know if higher ed can adapt quickly enough or some universities can adapt quickly enough to have that make a difference. Being nimble is is vital. I found that the creative industries have got the ability to be more nimble than we are in education and they are adapting and they are changing things. The agency model, I think, you know, we're seeing a different one emerging right now and hopefully we can bring that into academia as well. I'm proud to say that here at SJSU I've been involved in in developing some new areas or new programs of interest which are totally interdisciplinary. You know, we're looking at solving real-world problems in interdisciplinary playgrounds, right, which is ultimately the way forward. When we think about the number of organizations out there who are providing further education to our students when they graduate, just so essentially they can get a job, we should be doing that. We shouldn't allow them to leave our buildings with um, with skills missing that they then have to fulfill elsewhere. And a lot of that comes down to interdisciplinary practice. So I'm all for interdisciplinarity, working with with science, working with um, with business, working with, you know, astronomers and, and what have you, just in order to be able to to do something different and, and new. But are you ready for them to not be willing to work with you? That's the big question. Just like we engage with our clients, there is an educational component to what we do. People think that we're just graphic designers. We make pretty pictures and websites. No, that's not all we do. We utilize Mm -hmm. design as a mechanism for problem solving, creative problem solving. That is the operative term. We are bringing in completely different and new perspective to your very logical problem. And I can certainly make the argument that not all problems are are clear cut and logical. Sometimes things just don't make sense, but they were. And it takes a creative problem solver to to bring that to light. Mm -hmm. And so I spend an inordinate amount of time teaching other people just exactly what it is that I do. Yes, visual expression of a solution is one manifestation of what I do, but really, where my head is at is I am a strategist. I so like I did all of the personality tests, I did the Clifton Strength skills test, all of it. Top strategy, 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 strategy. That's all creative problem solving. 
you know, that's one of the things that I love most about design is that design unlocked that strategy brain. And I feel like a lot of students are going to go through their design program and realize, hey, you know, my way of thinking is even more different than that of my fellow designers. I, I want to find that aha moment for people because that's one of the true skills they're going to be able to bring to a job or another vocation. Some people may not ever practice graphic design, but they practice design in a different way. And to the greatest extent possible, I try to communicate to my students that if you don't want to be a graphic designer, that's fine. What you learned here can open up so many different paths for you that you didn't even understand, that you don't even know. And you can still have a great career, a profound impact mm -hmm. if you want. So don't get discouraged if you're not getting that print job or, you know, uh, you're not designing websites for a living. Because, you know, the other end of it that we both know is that sometimes clients really suck. <laughs> and that can be equally draining and challenging. And not everyone's made for that. So I encourage people if, if you're a designer that you happen to enjoy coding and if you're a little bit more extroverted than most, then you need to go into user experience design and even experience design in general because you have a relatability skill on that human level that you can synthesize using logic, but also creativity balanced. And that brings such a unique perspective Mm -hmm. to literally anything. So I've had a lot of tenured faculty people, not just in design, reach out to me. Seriously, someone that's been in there, been tenured for 20 years, reached out to me and they're like, thinking of leaving the academy. And I'm like, you're a full professor. Like you're untouchable. Don't, don't, don't. And they're like, my heart is just not in it anymore. And I don't know how to get a job outside of academia. And I have to tell them like, well, I didn't really leave the academy. I'm just in another division. Of if you want to work staff side, that's easy. You've got the experience. All you need to do is make a two page at most resume. But having having left the, the faculty side has been a transformative thing for me. And I lost a ton of confidence and, and belief and, and myself and my self-esteem because my identity was so intensely tethered to being a professor. You know, I've been doing design my entire life. I started teaching early. I, I've had all of these major, just insane accolades and I never thought I would have any of it. So when I gave it up, I thought, this is, this is the end. Like I'll never be able to get back into the academy in the terms in the, and in the way that I want. And what ended up happening was I crossed the Rubicon and I found that I was a bigger fish in a smaller pond. So on the, the Marcom marketing communications industry in higher ed, like I was able to really assert a personality for myself and really create an entirely new professional identity. It's one that crosses both worlds now. And it's been very cathartic and it's also been very freeing. 
And it's like, wow, I can go teach and have that satisfaction and being able to help people, help students. And, and then on the staff side, I get to understand the underlying mechanics of higher ed and enrollment and operations and all of that stuff. And just recently, I, I kind of came to the middle ground where it's like, well, what do I do now? We feel like we're all trained to just trying to get up the ladder to the next big thing. So if you're a faculty, you're an assistant professor, the next big thing is tenure and promotion to associate. And then from associate to full professor. Some of those people that I talk to, they're like, I've been a full professor for 15 years and I've lost myself throughout the pandemic. What do I do? And I kind of relate to them, my experience of being able to transition relatively smoothly, but consciously choosing to do that. And I think it's been, I think it's been helpful for some folks in, especially if, if you are not the type of professor that likes teaching online, you may feel like, is this it? Is this what's going to be the rest of my career? And, um, no, of course not. I mean, you, you have total agency and complete empowerment to do whatever you want in your classes and, and deliver them in a way that benefits all involved. But some people don't think that, and it's, it's like kind of frightening and reassuring at times. It's, it's very bizarre, but, um, you know, I'm here to tell you that if you decide to, to leave the academy, you can always come back to it later or you can adjunct and still get that same kind of satisfaction that, that you need as a person. Your, your identity is still intact. And not only that, but you can go do so many other things that, you're not shackled, right? You're not handcuffed by the rules of tenure and promotion or what's acceptable in the academy. And I don't mean that in like any kind of evil sort of Dr. Doom way, right? But I'm speaking at all kinds of conferences, marketing conferences and social media conferences. I've, I've been able to get different certifications and just continuing to do the things that I like to do on the faculty level without the cloud of tenure and promotion and the judgment of others hanging over me. And it's been, it's just been so freeing and, and cathartic and awesome. And I still get to bring all of that great experience to the classroom for the benefit of my students. And that's really kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. And these opportunities, you know, they present themselves when, when you do reach that pivot point, don't they? You know, it's like we had a moment in history where, we were able to actually sort of address, well, where do we go from here? And good things have come out of it, for sure, in your case there. And it's a designer's mind, isn't it? It's always like being curious about, what do I do next? How do I solve a problem? Um, how can I How can I like be creative with this issue that suddenly appeared, right? And one of those things, I mean, that I found, one of the great things I found that came out of this pandemic was the opportunity to develop bigger collaborations on a global scale. So, yeah, so whereas like before you had to like to really struggle to bring somebody in or if you brought them in via Skype before Zoom, it was kind of always like so very difficult to manage. Whereas now we're getting classes like together across the world. Now, let me just tell you like so one great example of this. I also do um, been involved with Miami Ad School for quite a while as well. You know, it's a little bit less now due to lots of demands in my day job and what have you. But. I still mentor and I still do portfolio reviews. And I still teach sometimes. But one project I was involved in during the pandemic was this hackathon, global hackathon that they did. 
Miami Art School, of course, has got campuses globally, right? And they organize through an external uh, an external body, an external organization, these competitions between campuses. So they brought students from across the Miami Art School world together online to collaborate. All of the teams were made up of students from, you know, from Madrid and Brazil and, you know, across the U.S. and what have you. And it was amazing. I was a mentor on, a, on, a, on about three of those. It was so good to see that students globally across time zones, across geography, were solving problems so creatively, so culturally innovative, you know, because we were looking at, everyone was looking at the problem from a different cultural perspective and coming up with like some new and wonderful ideas. And these were all live problems, you know, they were set by live clients. And it was amazing to see how well it worked. It was messy but it worked well. And students were working 24 hours, 24 hours, because some would go to bed and the others would be getting up and, and it'd stay up all night. And it brought the world together. The Miami Art School world came together and it was wonderful to see. We, couldn't have, we wouldn't have dreamt of doing that before the pandemic because we were stuck in one particular way of doing things. So it's open doors for me. I, I love hearing that. And you know, I was, I benefited from that international connectivity as well. I spoke at my first international conference in Australia from Pittsburgh, but you know, as, as a, as a designer, it having those international audiences recognize your work. I never thought people in Australia would care about blogs. I write about university logos. There's a whole contingent of countries in that part of the world that actually care. New Zealand, Australia, is fascinating. But yeah, it, it, and it's exciting mm-hmm. for sure. It totally is. And this has just been great. Honestly, I'm, I'm loving these conversations and I hope that other people enjoy them too. I'm sure they will, you know, because I think there's so much to take from, from all of this, you know, and really helping, to, helping us all to see what we've shared and what we're going to take with us into the future of creative practice and of creative education as well, you know? So... Again, thanks, RJ. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. And good luck with all of these new adventures that you're going on right now. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. And uh, yeah, let's do part two someday soon. So much more to say. Okay, well, thanks again, RJ. RJ.